Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to the 10th of July, 2019 Hong Kong Stories podcast. I'm Rachel Smith. Hong Kong is hot and sweaty right now with frequent rain and humidity. And when I'm uncomfortable, I often think of being unhappy as a kid and the way my mom would try her best to make things better. Sometimes it worked, and other times it didn't, but the effort was always there. And as we jump over puddles and shelter or under overhangs this week, we'll be listening to a story from Victoria, and then one from Janita about the help that they received. After the stories, we have a piece from Liars League Hong Kong, which was performed during the Hong Kong Spoken Word Festival in 2019. Before we get to today's stories, though, a monumental thank you goes out to our Hong Kong listeners. You make us strive to tell our stories better. Thanks go out as well to listeners around the world this week, especially those in Revelstoke in Canada, our sister city of Macau, and San Francisco in California in the USA. Thanks for letting our stories into your ears. Our next live show has the theme Belonging and will be performed live on Wednesday, July 24th at the Fringe Club. Our storytellers are working hard at getting their stories stage ready and we have an exciting lineup for the show. The theme for the month is Belonging and if you want to belong to our audience, you can get yourself a ticket at hongkongstories.com. Hong Kong Stories. It's better than comedy. It's better than drama. It's real life. And now from our February 2019 show with the theme of Direction Unknown, here is Victoria. Bear's black plastic nose is boxed out of shape, and his brown paunch is balding at the seams. Like all elderly stuffed toys, he has a history. He was my auntie's, said my mum. She gave him to me, and now he's yours. Bear is a third culture kid comforter. In 1993, my family moved from Singapore to Japan, swapping one expat existence for another and continuing a lifetime of change for Bear who is a constant in those twin variables of time and geography. 25 years ago, Bear and I are asleep in the cold synthetic smell of the back seat of our Mitsubishi people carrier, my childhood chitty-chitty (laughs) bang-bang. My sister sleeps on the seat next to me, sucking her thumb, her fingers curled around the bedraggled ears of a bunny rabbit. Bunny. And suddenly, I am half awake and horizontal, one hand holding my bear's paw, the other my mum's, while my dad figures out snow chains in a black and white world. I catch flakes of it on my tongue, savouring the first taste of a weekend ahead in Carrier's Hour, a mountain resort about three hours' drive from Tokyo. After a lifetime growing up in the tropics, the snow is more magical to me than the Mitsubishi, which I solemnly believe can fly. (laughs) The rest of the weekend is a whir. 
I am pink on a chairlift in my ski suit against a startling blue sky. My sister and I learned to ski in between our parents' legs. They clasp ski poles in their outstretched hands, clamping us to their chests like baby kangaroos. My mum creates a picnic on the back seat of the Mitsubishi of sandwiches and metallic-tasting thermos tea. The Mitsubishi is a long-suffering recipient of crumbs, tears and, occasionally, vomit. (laughs) Our cries are insatiable for French fries in a land famed for its miso and soba noodles. Robert, that's my dad, don't let the girls eat any more chocolate. My dad sides with my mum by placing the rest of the slab of milk chocolate into his mouth, grinning at us. (laughs) After dark, we visit an onsen, a mountain hot spring, where everyone is naked. And everyone stares at the two little blonde girls rolling around in the snow, giggling and screaming and generally shattering the zen, before throwing themselves into the hot, steaming waters. There are real bears in cages on the slopes. A whole new world, a glittering kingdom, has fallen into my eyes. I am so joyful. I scarcely think of Bear waiting for me at the rented cottage in the woods with only Kameda-san for company. Kameda-san is the old man who looks after the cottage. He has a boyish grin that speaks mischief and belies his ears. The fact is, I don't need Bear in Carrier's Hour like I need him in Tokyo, where I am still figuring out the alien newness of my new classmates the quagmire of playground politics. Bear sits on my bed in the darkening cottage. His brown eyes gaze on nothing in silent reproach, his limp arms flailing in the hopeless anticipation of a forgotten hug. On Sunday afternoon, my mum packs us into the Mitsubishi after another day on the slopes. My dad is already at the wheel, his face set, against the oncoming traffic. Are you sure we have everything? My mum's solicitor's question hangs unnoticed in the crisp air. We are careering our way towards Tokyo on the Joshinetsu Highway when the formidable realisation hits me like a bullet. Bear is not there. I beg my parents to turn back. I weep when they say no. Desolate, I contemplate the fog on the windows of the Mitsubishi, at the snot on the backs of my tear-streaked hands. It is a long ride home. At home, in the grey darkness of our Tokyo flat, my mum hugs me and says, we'll find him. The following week at school is joyless. My new teacher calls my mum to inform her of my delay in writing. Why was I not writing in cursive like my new classmates? Not only has Bear been banished to the forests of Carrier's Hour, I am now also the dunce in my new class.
My mum is a natural artist. She can breathe life into a drab room by repositioning a sofa. She sketches masterpieces whilst chatting on the phone. In the following lonely weeks, ski lessons are swapped for calligraphy. And soon, my letters are flowing on spindly limbs across the page. I find writing like this quite therapeutic. My mum, too, conducts a telephone investigation into the whereabouts of the missing bear. He's at the cottage, she tells me. Kameda-san is looking after him. He's sleeping in Kameda-san's bed, she laughs. I am not comforted by the prospects of Bear and this old man as unlikely bedfellows. <laughs> but at least Bear is safe. We collect Bear again a few weeks later. And in that time, my penmanship improves under the careful tutoring of my mum. I learn to write cursive. I amaze my new teachers with my progress, I think. 25 years later, I can still see, vividly, a handwritten page closely covered in blue fountain pen. My first story in joined-up writing. At the top of the page, a squat B bumps up against a small E, which blends into a curly A, whose tail becomes a perfunctory R that lends the title an air of finality. Bear. Today, I'm telling a second story. No offence, Bear, but I'd like to change that one word for two. Thanks, Mum. We owe our mothers and our other caregivers so much for taking such time to make us better people. Victoria got up on our stage the same way that I did. She came to a workshop. We hold workshops most Tuesdays of the month and welcome first-timers, old hands, and everyone in between to join us. Find out how you can learn how to tell your best story by following the steps on the website hongkongstories.com. Our second story today comes from a show we did in 2016 called 24-7. The show had story fragments, and in this short piece, Janita tells of a surprise she was given. It's late, and like every other 19-year-old wannabe actor, I've just returned from doing a shift washing dishes at the local steakhouse. It's a stinking job, literally. But it only fuels my desperation to find something, anything that will kickstart my career. On the way home, I've bought a copy of The Stage, which is the weekly theatrical newspaper. And I'm rifling through the pages trying to find the job section. I'm not expecting anything fantastic, anything spectacular. Not a West End role or a part in a movie, but maybe a local theatre is looking for somebody for a summer show. And then I see it. And I'm amazed and confused 
It's a full box ad, and it's got a border and everything. And it says, 19-year-old female actor looking for work will consider anything. And then my name and my phone number. And I have no idea how it got there. And then I realize my bloody mother, my bloody most supportive mother that you could ever imagine has decided to help me and my career by announcing to the entire theatrical world that I will consider anything for a job, a bloody killer. Sometimes the support of a loved one isn't as helpful as you'd like. Still, it's the thought that counts, right? This next piece is not a true first-person story. It's a fictional story written by Alison Willis and performed by Matt Fleming at a show for Liars League Hong Kong. The show was called The Best and the Brightest and was part of this year's Hong Kong Spoken Word Festival, an annual celebration of the art of the spoken word. It's not a true first-person story, but we like it so much we thought you might enjoy listening to it too. Sit back, and relax and listen to Alison Willis's story titled Wishfish. I had a magic fish when I was seven. I won him at a fairground. I heard mum muttering about how they always went belly up the minute you get them home. And dad saying that'd be a mercy and it would only be for a few days. I assumed belly up was some sort of swimming trick like belly flops for humans. At home, Mum found a big glass vase and I put my fish in it, along with some pebbles and a, and a Lego castle. I called him Wishfish because the man at the hoopla stall said he granted wishes. The fish flakes Dad bought smelled grim, but they were pretty colours, like confetti. <clears throat> On the first night, I watched him for ages, waiting for magic but he just swam around, mouthing madly like fish do. But as I turned away in disappointment, a waggling fin beckoned, and I laid my ear against the cool surface of the vase. All right, said Wishfish. <laughs> His voice was deep and rumbly through the glass, with a London accent. <laughs> I remember the stallman said the fish came from Crystal Palace. I thought of a glass mansion full of flickering fins. You decided on your wishes yet? He asked, in a bored sort of way. <gasps> My eyes bugged. So it's true? Course it is, said the fish. <laughs> if it had been possible to smoke a tiny cigarette underwater, this was the point at which he would have taken a drag. <laughs> would a mysterious hoop last proprietor lie? Wow, I said. Lost in wonder. Obviously, age seven, you've never really doubted that magic is real. Uh, but it's nice to have concrete proof. <clears throat> well, said the fish, I ain't gone all day. 
thought hard. I wanted to test Wishfish by wishing for something so far beyond the realms of possibility that it would definitely count as a miracle. Uh, can we have ice cream for dinner tomorrow? I asked. Uh, then I quickly added, because our new wishes could be slippery. I mean, nothing but ice cream. Actually, no, McDonald's and ice cream. My mum, you see, controlled ice cream very strictly. And she thought McDonald's was evil. <laughs> if the fish could pull this off, he was definitely magic. Uh, yeah, go on then, said the fish. I'll short it for tomorrow. Laters. <clears throat> the next day. The next day, mum was kept late at work. <clears throat> My dad put a lasagna in, but he forgot to take the plastic off. And that fumes that, that, there were so many fumes around the house, it meant we couldn't, it had to lead it for a bit. The smoke got in my eyes, so he bought me an ice cream. And we were both really hungry by then, so he took us to McDonald's. And he made me swear not to tell Mum. At McDonald's, we had chips and burgers and chicken nuggets and a milkshake, which has ice cream in it, and a Smarties ice cream for pudding. When I got home, I turned on the light and I tapped the glass. I felt sick with excitement. Or maybe it was the three kinds of ice cream. <clears throat> Wishfish swam over and looked at me expectantly. I noticed he was missing a big scale on his front. Can I have my second wish now? I asked. He did a fish shrug in the water. It was my eighth birthday next week and I'd asked for a Nintendo DS. But I didn't trust my mum to get one for me because she was always going on about how bad video games are. I could have just wished for a DS. But I was cunning. I want you to change my mum's mind about video games so that she gets me a DS and games for my birthday. If the fish had teeth to suck, he would have sucked them. Ain't gonna be easy, he said eventually. But okay. <clears throat> he twirled in the water and a scale floated free and drifted to the bottom of the vase, glinting. What's that? I said. Oh, he said. Every time you wish, I lose a scale. Goldfish only got a ten second memory in it. <clears throat> Means I know how many wishes I've granted, so you don't get extra. How many do I have? I asked. Who are you? He said. <laughs> How many wishes do I have? I asked again. He looked down at his two missing scales. You've got one left. I nearly died of anticipation every day that week. When my birthday came, I ripped off the wrapping of my main present to find a DS. And my mum was beaming too. Then she dropped the bombshell. Everyone knows you've got to be careful when you wish. And I haven't been careful enough. I got you some games too, she said eagerly. They have educational ones now. <laughs> I immediately took my grievance to Wishfish. I'd have to spend my last wish wishing for more games. And that wasn't fair. Not fair, he said. Not bleeding fair. 
I'll tell you what's not fair. After I grant your last wish and lose my third scale, I die, mate. That's not fair. My lip wobbled. I've grown quite fond of wish fish. <laughs> Why do you think fairground fish always go belly up after a few weeks? Greedy little children using all their wishes up and then the fish die. <clears throat> ah, so that's what belly up meant. It didn't sound so fun now. But what can I do? I asked. What can you do about what? I clearly reached the 10 second limit again. Eventually, we worked out a plan where I'd use my last wish to make wish fish live forever. Then I'd um, flush him down the loo and he'd go and tell the king of the goldfish that I'd done him a favour and the king would grant me infinite wishes and therefore infinite DS games. Everybody wins, said Wishfish as I held the vase over the toilet bowl. <clears throat> you probably won't be surprised to hear that I never saw Wishfish again. And then the king of the goldfish didn't grant me infinite wishes or DS games. I had to play Professor Layton in the Curious Village all that long, hot summer. And every time I cursed the soul of that cheating carp. <laughs> but you don't realise about pets when you're eight, do you? Even if you're repeatedly told that they can't eat chocolate, don't like wearing hats and all the rest of it, kids rarely remember or respect the limitations of animals, even magical ones. So it was only when I was ten and Wishfish had been swimming happily about in the sewers or in the King of the Goldfish's Crystal Palace. For a full two years, the penny finally dropped. It was my fault. You see, I'd wished for Wishfish to live forever, but I hadn't wished for him never to forget. And with a 10-second recall, how would he remember to tell the King of the Goldfish to give me my infinite wishes? Wishes are slippery things, and you've got to make them watertight. I know Wishfish is out there somewhere, chased forever by the nagging feeling that there's something he's forgotten. That's all right, though. I forgive him, and I don't mind, really, because I've got an Xbox now. <laughs> Thanks for listening to these stories brought to you by Hong Kong Stories. The music for this podcast was created and performed by Andrew Robert Smith. Everyone has a story to tell.